Chapter 6. The Battle of the Pelennor Fields It was no orc chieftain or brigand that led the assault upon Gondor. The darkness was breaking too soon, before the date that his master had set for it. Fortune had betrayed him for the moment, and the world had turned against him. Victory was slipping from his grasp, even as he stretched out his hand to seize it. But his arm was long. He was still in command, wielding great powers. King, Ringwraith, Lord of the Nazgul. He had many weapons. He left the gate and vanished. Theoden, King of the Mark, had reached the road from the gate to the river, and as he turned towards the city that was now less than a mile distant, he slackened his speed a little, seeking new foes, and his knights came about him, and Durnhelm was with them. Ahead, nearer the walls, Alfheim's men were amongst the siege engines, hewing, slaying, driving their foes into the fire pits. Well nigh all the northern half of the Pelennor was overrun, and there camps were blazing, orcs were flying towards the river like hers before the hunters, and the Rohirrim went hither and thither at their will. But they had not yet overthrown the siege, nor won the gate. Many foes stood before it, and on the further half of the plain there were other hosts still unfought. Southward beyond the road lay the main force of the Haradrim, and there their horsemen were gathered about the standard of their chieftain. He looked out, and in the growing light he saw the banner of the king, and that it was far ahead of the battle with few men around it. Then he was filled with a red wrath, and shouted aloud, displaying his standard, black serpent and one scarlet. They came against the white horse and the green with great press of men, and the drawing of the scimitars of the south ones was like the glitter of stars. Then Theoden was aware of him, and would not wait for his onset, but crying to Snowman, he charged headlong to greet him. Great was the clash of their meeting. But the white fury of the Northmen burned the hotter, and the more skilled was their knighthood with long spears and bitter. Fewer they were, but they closed through the Southrons like a firebolt in the forest. Right through the press drove Thad and Thingol's son, and his spear was shivered as he threw down their chieftain. Out swept his sword, and he spurred to the standard, hewed staff and bearer, and the black serpent foundered. Then all that was left unslain of their cavalry turned and fled away. But lo, suddenly in the midst of the glory and the king with the golden shield was dimmed, the new morning was blotted from the sky. Dark fell about him. Horses reared and screamed. Men cast from saddle lay grovelling on the ground. To me, to me, cried Theoden, up Elingus, fear no darkness. But Snowman, wild with terror, stood up on high, fighting with the air, and then with great scream he crashed upon his side. A black dart had pierced him. The king fell beneath him. The great shadow descended like a falling cloud, and behold, it was a winged creature, if bird then greater than all birds, and it was naked, and neither quill nor feather did it bear, and its vast pinions were as webs of a hide beneath, between horned fingers, and it stank. A creature of an older world, maybe it was, whose kind, lingering in a forgotten mountain, cold beneath the moon, outstayed their day, and in hideous, eerie breed, this last untimely brood, apt to evil. And the Dark Lord took it, and nursed it with foul meats, until it grew beyond all measure of all other things that fly, and he gave it to a servant to be his stead. Down, down it came, and then, folding his fingered webs, it gave a croaking cry, and settled upon the body of Snowman, digging in its claws, stooping its long, naked neck.
upon it set a shape, black-mantled, huge and threatening. A crown of steel he bore, but between rim and robe naught was there to see, save only a deadly gleam of his eyes, the lord of the Nazgul. To the air he had returned, summoning his steed, ere the darkness flailed, and now he was coming again, bringing ruin, turning hope to despair and victory to death. A great black mace he wielded. But Theoden was not utterly forsaken. The knights of his house lay slain about him, or else mastered by the madness of their steeds were borne far away. Yet one stood there still, Dernholm the young, faithful beyond fear, and he wept, for he had loved his lord his father. Right through the charge, Mary had been borne unharmed behind him until the shadow came, and then wind followed, throwing them in terror, and now ran wild upon the plain. Mary crawled on all fours like a dazed beast, and such a horror was on him that he was blind and sick. Kingsman, Kingsman, his heart cried within him, you must stay behind and stay by him. As a father you shall be to me, he said. But his will made no answer, and his body shook. He dared not open his eyes or look up. Then out of the blackness in his mind he thought that he heard Dunhelm speaking, yet now the voice seemed strange, recalling some other voice he had known. Be gone, foul Dwimalak, Lord of Carrion, leave the dead in peace. The cold voice answered, Come not between the Nazgul and his prey, or he will not slay thee in thy turn. He will bear thee away to the houses of lamentation beyond all darkness, where thy flesh shall be devoured, and thy shriveled mind be left naked in the lidless eye. The sword rang as it was drawn. Do what you will, but I will hinder it if I may. Hinder me? Thou fool! No living man may hinder me. Then Mary heard of all sounds in that hour the strangest. It seemed that Dernhelm laughed, and the clear voice was like a ring of steel. But no living man am I. You took upon a woman. Eowyn I am. Eamon's daughter. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone if you are not deathless. For living or dark undead, I will smite you if you touch him. The winged creature screamed at her, but the ring wraith made no answer, and was silent as if in sudden doubt. Very amazement for a moment conquered Mary's fear. He opened his eyes, and the blackness was lifted from them. There, some paces from him, sat a great beast, and all seemed dark about it, and above it loomed the Nazgul lord like a shadow of despair. A little to the left facing them stood she, whom he had called Dernhelm. But the helm of her secrecy had fallen from her. Her bright hair, released from its bonds, gleamed with pale gold upon her shoulders. Her eyes, grey as the sea, were hard and fell, and yet tears were on her cheek. A sword was in her hand, and she raised her shield against the horror of her enemy's eyes. Eowyn it was, and Dernhelm also, for into Mary's mind flashed the memory of the face that he saw riding from Dunharrow, the face of one who goes seeking death having no hope. Pity filled his heart in great wonder, and suddenly the slow kindled courage of his race awoken. He clenched his hand. She should not die. Not so fair, not so desperate. At least she should not die alone, unaided. The face of the enemy was not turned towards him, but he could dearly move, hardly dare move, dreading lest the deadly eyes should fall on him. Slowly, Slowly he began to crawl aside, but the black captain, in doubt and malice intent upon the woman before him, 
heeded him no more than a worm in the mud. Suddenly the great beast beat its huge wings, and the wind of them was foul. Again it leapt into the air, and then swiftly fell down upon Erwin, shrieking, striking with beak and claw. Still she did not blench, maiden of the Rohirrim, child of the kings, slender but as a steel blade, fair yet terrible. A swift stroke she dealt, skilled and deadly. The outstretched neck and she clove asunder, and the hewn head fell like a stone. Backward she sprang as a huge shape crushed to ruin, vast wings outspread, crumpled on the earth, and with its fall the shadow passed away. A light fell about her, and her hair shone in the sunrise. Out of the wreck rose the black rider, tall and threatening, towering above her. With a cry of hatred that stung the very ears like venom, he let fall his mace. Her shield was shivered in many pieces, and her arm was broken. She stumbled to her knees. He bent over her like a cloud, and his eyes glittered. He raised his mace to kill. But suddenly he too stumbled forward with a cry of bitter pain, and a stroke went wide, driving into the ground. Mary's sword had stabbed him from behind, shearing through black mantle and passed up beneath the hombert that pierced the sinew behind his mighty knee. Erwin! Erwin! cried Mary. Then tottering, struggling up with her last strength, she drove her sword between the crown and mantle, and the great shoulders bowed before her. The sword broke, sparkling into many shards. The crown rolled away with a clang. Eowyn fell forward upon her fallen foe, but lo, the mantle and hauberk were empty. Shapeless, they lay now on the ground, torn and tumbled, and the cry went up into the shuddering air and faded to a shrill wailing, passing with the wind, a voice bodiless and thin that died and was swallowed up and never heard again in the age of that world. And there stood Meriadoc, the hobbit, in the midst of all the slain, blinking like an owl in daylight, for tears blinded him, and through a mist he looked at Erwin's fair head as she lay and did not move, and he looked on the face of the king, fallen in the midst of his glory. For Snowmane in his agony had rolled away from him again, yet he was the bane of his master. Then Mary stooped and lifted his hand to kiss it, and lo, Fadon opened his eyes, and they were clear, and he spoke in a quiet voice, though laboured. Farewell, Master Hobbitia, he said. My body is broken. I go to my father's, and even in their mighty company I shall now be ashamed. I felled the black serpent. A grim morn and a glad day and a golden sunset. Mary could not speak, but wept anew. Forgive me, Lord, he said at last, if I broke your command and yet have done no more in your service than to weep at our parting. The old king smiled. Grieve not, it's forgiven. Great heart will not be denied. Live now in blessedness. And when you sit in peace with your pipe, think of me. For never now shall I sit with you in Mysildred, as I promised, or listen to your herb law. He closed his eyes, and Mary bowed beside him. Presently he spoke again. Where is Eomer? For my eyes darken. I would see him ere I go. He must be king after me. And I would send word to Eowyn. She, she would not leave, have me leave her. And now I shall not see her again, dearer than a daughter. Lord, Lord, began Mary brokenly. She is... But at that moment there was a great clamour, and all about them horns and trumpets were blowing. Mary looked around. He had forgotten the war and all the world beside, and many hours it seemed since the king rode to his fall, though in truth it was only a little while. 
but now he saw that they were in danger of being caught in the very midst of a great battle that would soon be joined. New forces of the enemy were hastening up the road from the river, and from under the walls came the legions of Morgul, and from the southward fields came footmen of Harad with horsemen before them, and behind them rose the huge backs of the Marmakil with war towers upon them. But northward the white crest of Aemir led the great front of the Rohirrim, which had again gathered and marshalled. And out of the city came all the strength of men that was in it, and the silver swan of Dothamoroth that was born in the van, driving the enemy from the gate. For a moment he th- the thought flitted through Mary's mind. Where is Gandalf? Is he not here? Could he not have saved the king and Eowyn? But thereupon Aemir rode up in haste, and with him came the knights of the household that still lived, and now mastered their horses. They looked in wonder at the carcass of the fell beast that lay there, and their steeds would not go near. But Aemir leapt from his saddle, and grief and dismay fell upon him as he came to the king's side and stood there in silence. Then one of the knights took the king's banner from the hand of Gandalf, sorry, the hand of Guthlaf, the banner bearer who lay dead, and he lifted it up. Slowly, Faradun opened his eyes. Seeing the banner, he made a sign that it should be given to Aemir. Hail, King of the Mark, he said. Ride to victory. Bid Eowyn farewell. (gasps) And so he died, and knew not that Eowyn lay near him. And those who stood by wept, crying, Faradun King! Faradun King! But Eomer said to them, Mourn not over much. Mighty was the fallen. Meat was his ending. When his mound is raised, woman then shall weep. War now calls us. Yet he himself wept as he spoke. Let his knights remain here, he said, and bear his body in honour from the field, lest the battle ride over it. Yea, and all the others of the king's men that lie here. And he looked at the slain, recalling their names. And suddenly he beheld his sister Eowyn as she lay, and he knew her. He stood a moment as a man who was pierced in the midst of a cry by an arrow through the heart. And then his face went deathly white, and a cold fury rose in him, so that all speech failed him for a while. A fey mood took him. Eowyn! Eowyn! he cried at last. Eowyn, how come you here? What madness or devilry is this? Death! Death! Death take us all! Then without taking counsel or waiting for the approach of the men of the city, he spurred headlong back to the front of the great host and blew a horn and cried aloud from the outset. Over the field rang his clear voice calling, Death! Ride! Ride to ruin and the world's end! And with that the host began to move. But the Rohirrim sang no more. Death, they cried, with one loud voice and a terrible gathering speed, like a great tide, their battle swept about their fallen king and passed, roaring away southwards. And still Meriadoc the hobbit stood there blinking through his tears, and no one spoke to him, indeed no one seemed to heed him. He brushed away the tears and stooped to pick up the green shield that Eowyn had given him, and he slung it at his back. Then he looked for his sword that he had let fall, for even as he struck his even as he struck his blow, his arm was numbed, and now he could only lose his left hand. And behold, there lay his weapon, but the blade was smoking like a dry branch that had been thrust in the fire, and as he watched it, it writhed and withered and was consumed. So passed the sword of the Barrow Downs, work of westerners, but glad would he have been to know its face, who wrought it slowly long ago in the North Kingdom when Dunedin were young, 
and the chief amongst their foes was the dread realm of Angmar and its sorcerer king. No other blade, not though mightier hands had welded it, would have dealt that foe a wound so bitter, cleaving the undead flesh, breaking the spell that knit its unseen sinews to his will. Men now raised the king, and laying cloaks upon spear truncheons, they made a shift to bear him away towards the city, and others lifted Erwin gently up and bore her after him. But the men of the king's household they could not yet bring from the field, for seven of the king's knights had fallen there, and Erwin their chief was amongst them. So they laid them apart from their foes and the fell beast, and set spears about them. And afterwards, when all was over, men returned and made a fire there, and burned the carcass of the beast. But for snowman, snowman, they dug a grave and set up a stone, upon which was carved in the tongues of Gondor and the mark. Faithful servant, yet master's bane, like foot's foal, swift snowman. Green and long grew the grass in snowman's hoe, but ever black and bare was the ground where the beast was burned. Now slowly and sadly, Mary walked beside the bearers, and he gave no more heed to the battle. He was weary and full of pain, and his limbs trembled as with a chill. A great rain came out of the sea, and it seemed that all things wept for Thaden and Eowyn, quenching the fires in the city with grey tears. It was through a mist that presently he saw the van of the men of Condor approaching. Imrahil, prince of Dothamrod, rode up and drew rein before them. What burden do you bear, men of Rohan? he cried. Theoden king, they answered. He is dead, but Eomer king now rides in the battle, he with the white crest in the wind. Then the prince went from his horse and knelt by the bear in honour of the king that was his great onset, and he wept. And rising he looked on then and Eowyn and was amazed. Surely here is a woman, he said. Have even the woman of Rohim come to war in our need? Nay, one only, they answered. The Lady Eowyn is she, sister of Eomer, and we knew naught of her riding until this hour, and greatly we rue it. Then the prince, seeing her beauty, though her face was pale and cold, touched her hand as he bent to look more closely. Men of Rohan, he cried, are there no leeches among you? She is hurt, to the death maybe, and I deem that she yet lives. And he held the bright burnished vambrance that was upon his arm before her cold lips, and behold... A little mist was laid on it, hardly to be seen. Haste now is needed, he said, and he sent one riding back swiftly to the city to bring aid. But he, bowing low to the fallen, bade them farewell, and mounting, rode away into battle. And now the fighting waxed furious in the fields of Pelennor, and in the din of arms rose up on high, with the crying of men and the neighing of horses. Horns were blown and trumpets were braying, and the mumakil were bellowing as they goaded into war. Under the south walls of the city, the footmen of Gondor now drove against the legions of Mogor that were still gathering there in strength. But the horsemen rode eastwards to the succour of Eomer, Hurin the Tall, Warden of the Keys, and Lord of Lossenach, and the Hurluin of the Green Hills, the Prince Imrahil the Fair, with his knights all about him. Not too soon came the aid to Rohirrim, for fortune had turned against Eomer, and his fury had betrayed him. The great wrath of his onset had utterly overthrown the front of his enemies, and great wedges of his riders had passed clear through the ranks of the Southrons, discomforting their horses and riding their footmen to ruin. But wherever the Mamakul came, their horses would not go, but blenched and swerved away, and the great monsters were unfought, 
and stood like towers of defence, and the Haradrim rallied about them. And if the Rahom at their onset were thrice outnumbered by the Haradrim alone, soon their case became worse, for a new strength came now streaming to the field out of Osgiliath. They had been mustered for the sack of the city and the rape of Gondor, waiting on the call of their captain. He was now destroyed, but Golf Mog, the lieutenant of Mogul, had flown them into the fray, Easterlings with axes, and Varags of Khan, Suffron and Scarlet, <coughs> and out of far-harrowed black men like half-trolls with white eyes and red tongues. Some had now hastened behind the Rohirrim, others held westward to hold off the forces of Gondor and prevent their joining with Rohan. It was even as day thus began to turn against Gondor, and their hope wavered that a new cry went up in the city, it being then mid-morning, and a great wind blowing, and the rain flying north and the sun shining. In that clear air, watchmen on the walls saw afar a new sight of fear, and their last hope left them. For Anduin, from the bend of the Harland, so flowed that from the city men could not look down lengthways for some leagues, and the far-sighted could see any ships that approached. And looking thither, they cried in dismay, for the black against the glittering stream they had beheld a fleet borne up on the, upon the wind, dromons and ships of great draught with many oars, with black sails bellying in the breeze. The Corsars of Umber, men shouted, the Corsars of Umber, look! The Corsars of Umber are coming. So Balfalas is taken, and the Ithir in Lebanon is gone. The Corsars are upon us. It's the last stroke of doom. And some without order, for none could be found to command them in the city, ran to the bells and told the alarm. And some blew the trumpets sounding the retreat. Back to the walls, they cried. Back to the walls. Come back to the city before all are overwhelmed. But the wind that sped the ships blew all their clamour away. Though Rahim indeed had no need of news or alarm, all too well they could see for themselves the black sails. For Eomer was now scarcely a mile from the Harland, and a great press of his first foes was between him and the haven there, while new foes came swirling behind, cutting him off from the prince. Now he looked to the river, and hope died in his heart, and the wind that he had blessed he now called accursed. But the hosts of Mordor were enheartened, and filled with new lust and fury, they came yelling in the onset. Stern now was Amr's mood, and his mind was clear again. He let blow the horns to rally all men to his banner that he could come thither, for he thought to make a great shield wall at last, and stand and fight there on all foot until all fell, and do deeds of a song on the fields of Pelennor, though no man should be left in the west to remember the last king of the mark. So he rode to a green hillock, and there set his banner, and the white horse ran rippling in the wind. Out of doubt, out of dark, today's rising, I came singing in the sun, sword unsheathing, two hopes and I rode into hearts breaking, now for wrath, now for ruin and red nightfall. These staves he spoke, yet he laughed as he said them, for once more the lust of battle was on him. And he was still unscathed, and he was young, and he was king, and lord of the fell people. And lo, even as he laughed at despair, he looked out again at the black ships, and he lifted up his sword to defy them. And then wonder took him, and a great joy, and he cast up his sword on the sunlight and sang as he caught it. And all eyes followed his gaze, and behold, upon the foremost ship a great standard broke, and the wind displayed it as he turned upon the highland. There flowered a white tree 
and that was for Gondor. But seven stars are about it, and a high crown above it, the signs of a lendal that no lord had borne for years beyond count. And the stars flamed in the starlight, for they were wrought of gems by Arwen, daughter of Elrond, and the crown was bright in the morning, for it was wrought of mithril and gold. Thus came Aragorn, son of Aragorn, Elisir, a Sildur's heir, out of the paths of the dead, born upon the wind from the sea to the kingdom of Gondor, and the mirth of the Rahim was a torrent of laughter and a flashing of swords, and the joy and the wonder of the city was a music of trumpets and a ringing of bells. But the hosts of Mordor were seized with bewilderment, and a great wizardry seemed to be seemed to them that their own ships should be filled with their foes, and a black dread fell upon them, knowing that the tides of fate had turned against them, and that their doom was at hand. East rode the knights of Dolomoth, driving the enemy before them, trollmen and varags and orcs that hated the sunlight. South strode Eomer, and men fled before his face, and they were caught between the hammer and the anvil. For now men leapt from the ships to the quays of Harland and swept north like a storm. There came Legolas and Gimli wielding his axe, and Halbarad with the standard, and Aladdin and Alhurhir with the stars on their brow, and the dower-handed Dunedin, rangers of the north, leading a great valour of the folk of Lebanon and Lambden and the fiefs of the south. But before all went Aragorn with the flame of the west, Andor like a new fire kindled, Narsal reforged as a deadly of old, and upon his brow was the star of Elendil. And so at length Eomer and Aragorn met in the midst of the battle, and they leaned on their swords and looked at one another, and were glad. Thus we met again, though all the hosts of Mordor lay between us, said Aragorn. Did I not say so at Hornburg? So you spoke, said Eomer, but hope oft deceives, and I knew not then that you were a man foresighted. Yet twice blessed is help unlooked for, and never was a meeting of friends more joyful. They clasped hand in hand. Nor indeed more timely, said Amir. You come none too soon, my friend. Much loss and sorrow has befallen us. Then let us avenge it, ere we speak of it, said Aragorn. And they rose back into battle together. Hard fighting and long labour they had still, for the Southrons were bold men and grim, and fierce in despair. And the Easterlings were strong and war hardened and asked for no quarter. And so in this place and that, by burned homestead or barn, upon hillock or mound, under wall or field, they still gathered and rallied and fought until the day wore away. And then the sun went at last behind Mindelin and filled all the sky with a great burning, so that the hills and the mountains were dyed as with blood. Fire glowed in the river, and the grass of Pelennor lay red in the nightfall. And in that hour the great battle of the field of Gondor was over, and not one living foe was left within the circuit of the Romas. All were slain, save those who fled to die, or to drown in the red foam of the river. Few ever came eastward to Morgor or Mordor. In the land of the Hundred came only a tale from far off, a rumour of the wrath and the terror of Gondor. Aragorn and Eomer and Imrahil rode backwards towards the king of the, uh, to the gate of the city and they are now weary beyond joy or sorrow. These three were unscathed, for such was their fortune and skill and the might of their arms, and few indeed had dared to abide them or look on their faces in the hour of their wrath. But many others were hurt or maimed or dead upon the field. The axis hewing forlong as he fought alone and unhorsed, and both 
Dulin of Mortland and his brother were trampled to death when they sailed the Mimical, leading their bowmen close to shoot at the eyes of the monsters. Neither Herluin the Fair would return to Penithgillan, nor Grimbold to Grimsdale, nor Halbarad to the Northlands, the dour-handed ranger. No few had fallen, renowned or nameless, captain or soldier, for it was a great battle, and the full count of it no tale has told. So long afterwards, the maker of Rohan said in a song on the mounds of Nuremberg. We heard of the horns and the hills ringing, the swords shining in the south kingdom. Steeds went riding in the stoning land as wind in the morning war was kindled. There Thaden fell, Thingling mighty, to his golden halls and green pastures in the northern fields, never returning. High Lord of the host, Harding and Gutla, Duner and Derwin, Doughty Grimbold, Hair, father, Herobrand, Horn and Fastred, Fought and fell in that far country. In the mounds of Munberg under Mold they lie, With their league fellows, Lord of Gondor, Neither Halloween the fair, To the hills by the sea, nor fall on the altar the flowering veils, ever to Anaka's own country, returned in triumph. Nor the tall bowmen, Derfin and Duelin, to their dark waters. Mares of Mort and under mountain shadows, death in the morning and at Days ending, lords took and lonely, long now they sleep. Under grass and gondor, by the great river, grey now as tears gleaming silver, red linen rolled warm water. Foam dyed with blood, flamed at sunset, as beacon mountains burn at evening. Red fell the dew in Ramesicor, 